And we're live. Welcome back. Thank you for sticking with us through yet another episode. Hey, all you crazy sci-fi and fantasy fans, it's time for your daily dose of shenanigans over here at the Blasters and Blades podcast. Just three nerdy veterans geeking out over our science fiction passions and fantastical fantasies. A place where magic is king, the sky is the limit, and space is the place. We are the podcast that puts the fun in dysfunction. So without further ado, we're going to let our guest, Mr. Daniel Humphreys. Can you please introduce yourself to our listeners and viewers? Yeah, I'm uh, Dan Humphreys, uh, write sci-fi, write fantasy. Uh, and uh, you cut out a little bit there. Or had a, sorry, I had a blip. Um, yeah, uh, do a uh, little post-apocalyptic stuff, uh, do some urban fantasy stuff, uh, do some short stories here and there. So, yeah, just kind of... All right. And the next part of the introduction, dear listeners, how we met them. So picture this. It was All Hallows' Eve in the year of our Lord, 1693. We were dodging a few hunters in Salem and almost got caught. And so we had to hide out in a tavern. Turns out Daniel has an iron stomach and he drank everyone under the table, including the hunters. And that's how we got away. So beer. Beer saved the day. True story. As beer, 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 said the private. Exactly. All right. So, Doc. Before we go any further, we have to do the religion question and see if he gets to stick around. Okay, I hope you're ready. Drum roll. Star Wars, Star Trek, or Firefly? Firefly. No yeah. hesitation. Yeah, no hesitation. <laughs> nice. What is it about Firefly that so you like? I um, just the whole scrappy gang of people trying to make their way, you know, against the larger world. And, you know, it's a little bit more realistic than in uh, Star Wars and Star Trek, I guess. So it's the everyman approach that you like so much, you think? Yeah, yeah. It appeals to me. Okay. All right, Doc. Hmm. Now for the fantasy. Game of Thrones, The Wheel of Time, or Conan the Barbarian? Uh, Can you say that one more time for us, Doc? Just because I like that voice. Do it again. No? Huh? I was asking you could no. say that again. It was kind of amusing. Conan the Barbarian? No, the way you said it. But I'll, I'll just cut it out and post, and then I'll show everybody. We'll make it like a, a ringtone or something. Yeah, loop that. Uh, <laughs> it, it's close, but I got to go with Conan. Okay. Yeah. What was it close Is to? Is it that? because he's the everyman also? Nah. Conan is the man we all wish we could be. Yeah, Game of Thrones, I... I mean, there's certain aspects of it I like, but it's just so it's just so grim, and there's not really anybody to root for that lives. Um, <laughs> the Wheel of Time. Um, I need to at some point. I think I got up to like book seven or eight, you know, and just kind of petered out and never. You mean tome seven or eight? Well, yeah, yeah. So and and just going back and I mean I, I I hear it ends ends well I just haven't had a chance to finish it and um, you know Conan you know uh, the short the stories are great um, I, I I like the movies I know they're not you know technically really accurate to the stories but you know they're still still good I got a soft spot for Arnold uh, so yeah gotta go with Conan okay okay. Which one was your first love, sci-fi or fantasy? Uh, 
probably fantasy, I guess. Um, the first movie I ever remember seeing in the theater with my dad was uh, Clash of the Titans uh, when that came out. And that was just, I, I mean, there's just something about that, the, you know, the stop motion, you know, animatronic stuff and little owl and, you know, the, the Kraken and all that stuff, you know, uh, just didn't, the, the remake was okay, but, you know, there's just something about the old one, you know, that really, I really, I really liked, you know, it's kind of foundational for me, I guess. Yeah. Okay. So, so was that uh, was the Clash of the Titans your first memory of sci-fi or fantasy? Anything speculative fiction? Oh yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I mean, I was like four when it came out, I think maybe. So yeah, <laughs> and I was like, you know, and um, I I love to read. So like, you know, I was always the weird kid that checked out like twenty or thirty books a time out of the uh, library, and you know, so I'd find anything interesting. You know, you know sci-fi fantasy you know mysteries whatever i could find you know uh, be into that so you were that you were that kid who pushed the limit on how many you could have checked out at once yeah yeah and i i conned my mom into an adult library card i think in third or fourth grade and um i got in trouble at school because i had it in my desk and the teacher didn't think that was necessarily appropriate for a nine-year-old Probably wasn't, you know, but that's exactly why I, I read it. I'm surprised by how many nine-year-olds have had come on the show, or rather, adults have come on and said they had that book at nine. I am very I'm, shocked and a little worried. I would be more horrified. I mean, as a parent now, looking back, I mean, I'm a little horrified, but I also re realized that, you know, looking back, I didn't get probably seventy-five percent of it. You know, I didn't understand it. I mean, so it didn't really impact me, I don't think. I was just kind of in it for, oh, there's a clown and, you know, there, ooh, there's like a lizard arm on the cover and, you know, what's going on? And then, oh, wait, oh, wait, it's a spider and they're spraying it with acid. You know, I mean, all the subtext and, you know, <coughs> depth and layers. I, I told, you know, just totally went over my head. But yeah, that was definitely kind of a, a gateway drug for young me. <laughs> so. Okay. So so what is it about speculative fiction, that umbrella genre that includes all the all the cool things that Doc and I love? What is it about that that you love so much? I think just the escapism, you know. Um, you know, instead of a world where, you know, you get up and go to work and pay bills, you know, maybe there's a dragon that flies across the sky or, you know, something, something different and interesting. Um, I think, uh, you know, for me, stories and books and all that was always a way to kind of not have to pay attention to what uh, you know what was going on around me so yeah kind of appeals in that way okay so how did your love of speculative fiction as a genre go from hey i like reading and watching this content to you know let me create some of my own i have i have always um I mean, I, I drew comics in school. Like, if we had an assignment to do a project, I'd say, oh, can I, you know, can I draw a comic book? Or, oh, can I write a short story? And, you know, and I, um, <clears throat> I'd always try to do the, you know, the wildest thing I could get away with. Um, I mean, in high school, we read The Scarlet Letter. And um, I said, oh, hey, you know, I want to write for my project. I want to write a short story. And it was, uh, 
about like uh, cyborg uh, war machines, you know, you know that uh, when they failed in the battlefield, you know, they got stamped with the Scarlet Letter, you know, so that was my tie in there, you know. And, uh, oh, I like that. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, it's kind of, you know, that was kind of my thing was, you know, basically I was leveraging all my classes for, you know, to try and do stuff that uh, actually interested me and not necessarily, you know, doing poetry analysis or, you know, discussing the themes of what we were actually reading, you know. <laughs> so. That is um, insanely topical because they just had uh, English, the head of the English department at Harvard just said most incoming freshmen can't uh, understand and read the language of the Scarlet Ladder. And I'm like, didn't we read that in like 10th grade? Yeah. So it's uh it's interesting. I I do think that could be an interesting book to to rewrite even with your current capabilities. I'd read the heck out of that. That sounds interesting. So do you have any? Say again. Do you have? I said, do you have any of your old stories? Yes, I I kept a lot of them. The weird thing is, a lot of the ones I still have are the really early ones because uh, they were like either written longhand or uh, printed out um, all the stuff that maybe a lot of the stuff that I wrote in, you know, high school and afterward uh, was on like a Commodore. So I don't have, a Com I don't even have the discs anymore. So, but yeah, I do. I, a lot of the stuff I, uh, I've kept around and it's kind of good to, I don't know that I ever put any of it out there without like some serious rewrites, but it's good to, um, look at it and see where you come from, you know, cause you know, it's like, wow, <laughs> don't copy it yourself after 20 years. It kind of hits painful. <laughs> yeah. Although, you know, some of your diehard fans might pay to read that, you know, do it a Patreon exclusive or something. I did. I did as a, it was half a joke and half serious uh, on my blog is a free book. And it's, I, I want to say I was maybe 20 when I when I wrote it, so it's you know 25 years old. Um, and I, I built it as the free awful novel, so um, it's up there on my blog, and you can read through that and shake your head, at, you know, like I did as I was putting you know scanning it up there and putting it up. Um, so I don't know. It, it, it's kind of weird, you know. You you find some nuggets in there, and uh, it's like hmm. I, I kind of like that idea. Maybe I should rewrite this. And I'm like, no, no, I've got all kinds of stuff I want to write. I don't, I don't want to come back to this. So, so but it's fun because you know I mined uh, characters and some ideas out of stuff. You know, over the years, you know, you kind of copy off yourself and refine things. So it was kind of interesting doing that. So kind of like uh, writing archaeology, I guess. I like that, Doc. Remember that. Write that down. Writing archaeology. There you go. <laughs> I'm not your secretary, Jr. <laughs> you could use that as your con thing where like the other 25 people at Dragon Con. <laughs> oh, sorry, 35, 35. You, you've expanded. <laughs> All right. So many authors will let their own real life experiences influence the stories they tell. So were there any formidable moments that you think shaped you as a storyteller? Mm -hmm. I think... Uh... A lot of my characters tend to have kind of rough childhoods, and I, you know, I kind of mind my experience for that. Um, oh, but a lot of them also have uh, people around them that, um, you know, are kind of like uh, pseudo families, and uh, I, I, I do kind of that a lot. Um, so yeah, you know, just 
the, the kid that was sitting in his bedroom, you know, wishing he could, uh, you know, be, be riding with Conan, you know, kind of, kind of extends out now, you know? So. Okay. Well, doc, your fandom questions are up and he gets to ask all of them because he's had a, an eventful con life. So go to town. Con life should be eventful. As long as it's positive, I am always happy to hear it's eventful. So getting into some of your fan experiences, have you had any cool fan art or cosplay yet of one of your characters? Nothing like, uh, I've run into anybody, but, um, my son, and it was a pretty proud moment as a dad, you know, looking, going back to how I used to leverage my own interest to do my homework. Um, he was taking a graphics uh, design class and they had to make a movie poster. So he made movie posters for a couple of my books for his finals. So, so that was neat. So uh, his, his budget's a little higher, I think, than probably could uh, could work out. He had about, you know, A-list actors on the, on the cover of the, on the posters. So <laughs> we had a pricey movie. <laughs> so yeah, that was kind of neat. It totally counts too. That is even awesome. if you ride uh, you know, um, food. So what? So, how was it the first time somebody asked you for an autograph? Uh, it was so it was like kind of a, a strange blend of completely normal and completely surreal because it was somebody I knew who was already a friend of mine, and we were at a uh, vault, like a volleyball game for my daughter. And they're like, hey, I got your. I want to get your book. Can you, give, can you can you give me a copy and sign it? And I'm like, it just kind of was strange because you know that was my first novel, which was the which was like post apocalyptic uh, zombie story. And I'm like, well, you're like a, you know, you're a housewife that lives on a farm. You know, you didn't really strike me as a person who likes zombies. So it was kind of cool, you know. So it's like, yeah, it's like, oh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> that was the first time you got asked to sign your book? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was awesome. Uh, yeah, right after it came out. So. so, so other than that time, when was the first time you had somebody, you spotted somebody reading your book in the wild? I hadn't, I haven't seen anyone, uh, at, you know, reading one, maybe in like a con or something, you know, after I've, you know, sold them one, but, um, probably kind of, kind of the same. Um, we were in a half price books and we were just looking and scanning the shelves. And I'm like, wait a minute, that's mine. No, <laughs> it's like, huh, son of a gun. Yeah. So <laughs> I think at, that's at one, awful. well, that, that's the thing, you know, I, was, I mean, on one hand, somebody bought my book and sold it. That kind of sucks. On the other hand, I'm like, well, it's kind of cool, still in the store, you know. So, um, so I mean, you know, it's kind of like, you know, fifty fifty. You got to look at the bright side. Um, but it was fun. They, I took it up the counter. They, I said, "Hey, uh, this is me. You want me to sign it? And you guys can, you know, put it in your uh, autograph section." And I'm like, "Oh yeah, absolutely." So, I uh, signed so, it. And, uh, maybe. They liked it so much they wanted to spread the love. They took it to the bookstore so somebody else could enjoy it. Right. Yeah. You know. I mean, I'm 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 cool with that. You know. I mean, I I uh, like I said I, I was a library brat growing up. So hey, 
you know, libraries, used bookstore, man, that's my jam. So, I mean, you know, if you read a book and you want to sell it and somebody else can read it, that's cool, man. Let's do it. Yeah. So, no, it, that's great. Um, what has been your funniest fan interaction, though? <laughs> uh, well, it's Twitter. So that, you know, that, that probably explains a lot right there. But uh, the, so there's kind of like a, you know, it's pretty big community and you know indie writers so you know you get to know each other and you know you form relationships with people and uh you know, you, and you meet each other at cons and you go out and have drinks and stuff and get to know each other so uh i'm uh you know friends with john delarose so one of the as a joke one time i said hey john can i register you one of my books and he's like absolutely let's do it um so i made him character and he dies absolutely horrifically and so as a, you know just you know i was i i got a kick out of the writing of the scene so i you know shared a screenshot of the scene on twitter and said hey check this out it's great tag john in it he thought it was hilarious well one of his fans did not realize that we knew each other <clears throat> and this guy lost his mind. He thought I was, you know, well, why are you doing this? How do you, you know? Uh, and it's like, man, it's okay. We're friends. It's all right. You know, I've, uh, my friend Hans has killed me horribly in one of his books. So I've killed him twice, I think, in one, you know, a couple, in both, both my series, you know. So it's just, I don't know. It's kind of something we do to each other. And uh, I don't know that if people don't get it or they think we're, you know, if you. Well, JR is aiming, like JR is aiming to be the next Joe Buckley. Okay. Well, there. Then you. Yeah. Yeah. I didn't know if uh, the Buckley thing is like you know famous. So it's kind of a, you know kind of a, you know shades of that. You know. So. Um, I know, but Terry Mixon's killed him pretty effectively a couple times already. So he's working yeah. on it. Yeah. There you go. Oh, so, you're to kill my friend. Josh, one of the things he told me it was a uh, hormonal um, first puberty situation with a, a young girl who stabbed me with a garden implement. Yeah. <laughs> Nice, nice. Should have brought the Midol, I guess. Yeah. Um, but yeah, the, uh, that's always fun when you get to involve your friends. Although I think there's a danger in doing it where it starts to get too inside baseball, too tongue in cheek, and you can lose readers. But I yeah. think if you do it right and you do it skillfully, yeah, it could be fun to, well, to I, throw some friends in there. Yeah, and I and I, I say I like to say that I'm probably the, one of the worst writers of red shirts there are. Um, I'm like batting maybe 500. I, I have had redshirt calls, and then I even, when I relaunched one of my series, I did a Kickstarter and sold redshirt slots, and I'm just terrible at killing them. I mean, they turn into, like, supporting characters, and they stick around, and it's like, man, I can't off this guy. I, I, I like writing this character, you know, and so they kind of take on a life of their own, you know. Um, I, I, my buddy Jared, um, I think he's, I think he popped up in book two of Paxton Lock and he was supposed to die and he's still in like in book six, he's like a regional supervisor now. So it's like, Jared, what am I doing? You're, you're supposed to be dead already. So, so you know. before we uh, before we transition more to talking about the book that we brought you here for uh, and the commercial we're about to air, that you brought that up that you, you have, um, your stories tend to take a life of their own when you add friends and family and, and redshirted fans and stuff. So would it be fair to assume then that you're a pantser more than a plotter? Half and half. 
I mean, I, I, I know we're point A and point Z and maybe one or two points in the middle are, but yeah, I kind of do the, do Billy from the family circle through the, through the plot to get to the, get there. So yeah, I'm, I kind of pants it. <laughs> yeah. So. Okay. That works. All right. So this is the part where we talk about your, the reader's digest of your body of work. So can you give the readers sort of what they can expect from, from the one, the only, the great pimp daddy, Daniel Humphreys. Uh, so let's see, I started out uh, with my Z day series, um, kind of my epic post-apocalyptic uh, zombie thing. Uh, I, I wrote that as a standalone novel just to get it out of my head so I could work on something else, uh, which in this case was the Paxton Lock series. Uh, I got it written. I wrote Paxton Lock 1, and I had to write another zombie book. I'm like, okay, this is it. I can do more Paxton books. I did Paxton 2, and I'm like, eh, crap, I got to do another, do another zombie book. So at this point, I'm on three zombie books, and thankfully I have kind of forced myself uh, to stick with Paxton, uh, or up to six on Paxton. Uh, I did edit, I did a short story collection of the of the Z Day series. So there's four story, four in that total. Uh, and the bad part about that is, is the story that I thought was done, except for the anthology. I wrote two short stories for the uh, anthology, and now it's like, well, crap, I got another book in there. So it was <laughs> like a literal zombie. It won't die. <laughs> Everyone asks, like, where do you get your ideas for your stories? And I'm like, how do you make them stop? I've got way more ideas than I have lives to write them in. Yes, yes, absolutely. <laughs> it's it's like the Twilight Zone episode with Virgis Meredith, where he's in the library after the end of the world. You know, it's like I, I don't want to necessarily have time to to read. I want time to write. <laughs> yeah, uh, that's the running joke. Is uh, you know, do you go to the home goods store so you have all the food and the the survival supplies, or the bookstore because you can read? I don't know. I mean, if I'm going to die inevitably anyway, I think I might go for the book. Yeah, right. You, or split the difference. Amazon Warehouse. And go to one that has, uh, go to a bookstore, like uh, one of the big Barnes & Nobles that has food in it. Then you get the supplies and you get it, the books and the knowledge okay. to do stuff. That works. So, Doc, this is an important question for you before we move on to the commercial, right? So, normally I would say, this is an important question. You got to pay attention, Doc. There will be a test. So, normally we would say, shamelessly show for the man or the woman, depending on the author. No! But the man, the author is a man, but it's a Bane book. So, you know, it's run by the great and, and mighty Tony Weisskopf. So, are we shilling for Tony or are we shilling for the author, the man or the woman? I think you're. Chilling for, I don't know, just roll the bean footage. All right, we'll just play the commercial and pretend like I had a great and mighty introduction. And in the meantime, you can see this epic commercial being put together for us. A newly minted PhD, Noah Parker is thrilled to land a dream job at the hottest tech company in the American Southwest, genetically engineering new lines for their feature product, Living Breathing Dragons. Desperate to create the perfect family pet, Reptilian Corp hopes to put a dragon in every home. But with his newfound access to the company's resources, Noah has a secret goal. Modify the dragon's genetic code, them to another purpose entirely. Domesticating Dragons by Dan Cobalt and BaneBooks.com. That is a very fast talking narrator. I promise I did not speed that up in post. 
But uh, anyway, thank you for sticking with us through that commercial interlude. Oh, yeah, it sounds, sounds interesting. I want a dragon. But if I get a dragon, then my life becomes a fantasy novel because everybody knows, Doc, that a dragon makes it a fantasy. No, it yeah? doesn't. No? Okay. No, it doesn't. So it where all depends you... on the mechanics. Rain of fire. All right. <laughs> so let's talk about the Fae, which is the first book in the Paxton Lock series, which is what brought us here. So where did you come up with the idea for this universe? Was it psychedelics, Ouija board, overindulgent, tired <laughs> candy? Like, where did it come from? Uh, pizza nightmare. Um, that works. So, so it, I kind of like, I guess being a pantser, I kind of backed into it. Um, I had a, I had an idea for an alternate history story about Tombstone, and you know, one of my favorite movies, right back there. Um, and basically what it was is instead of uh you know a, an enemy gang it was going to be uh, vampires of some sort and uh, so it's going to be it's going to be uh doc holiday and uh, johnny ringo uh against vampires um didn't obviously i've, I've written maybe uh, a couple chapters of that haven't haven't finished it yet but a character came out of that that runs through the paxton lock universe and so basically i just kind of you know from there um it, it just kind of built and um i brought in um the main character um it was a uh mid-20 guy uh he's just kind of a uh roaming vagabond uh but he's a wizard um so he goes around and helps people with uh magical problems whether it be ghosts or um you know monsters or whatever he runs into uh, but then he uh finds out that uh there's a little bit more to the world behind the scenes than he thought and um kind of transitions from being an independent guy into being more of like a government agent and uh and it just kind of goes from there so. okay so before we get started diving into the book itself at what is the age range for the story like if you were rating it because we have some families that listen and then read together so we like to uh, ask them up front you know kind of what what's appropriate for this particular book it's definitely not young adult um i don't go a little crazy on the i don't go crazy on the language but it's pretty gory at times um because you're dealing with i mean you got to make the bad guys bad um i would say i mean my teenage my teenage sons read it and uh I would say, you know, that, that teenage enough. Yeah. So if you're going to call it PG 13, maybe? Yeah. Yeah. That's just fair. Okay. All right, Doc. Now it's your turn. My turn. Yeah, it is my turn. Um, so can we talk about this wonderful cover? I, I actually really love the colors that you did. That's uh, actually JR, can, that's, are you, that's okay. actually the alternate too. I uh, you know I like that one, but that's not the one I ended up going with. Yeah, it's not. No, yeah. I wasn't sure. Hmm. I should have asked him again. I just like that one. Yeah. No, it was it was it was a tough it was call. I, I I really liked the first one, but I think having the RV kind of it just you know kind of ties everything in a little bit because that's that's Paxton's RV that he drives around in, you know. Um, the tagline when Silver Empire picked it up was um, uh, was uh, dressed in 
goes on a, a supernatural style road trip, cool car not included, because you know he's driving a junky RV. <laughs> so uh, I like the last part, cool part car not included. It, yeah, yeah, he's, it lets he's like you know that there is some humor. <laughs> he's the oldest 20, 20 year old in the world. I mean, you know, he drives around in his RV and he stays at RV parks and, you know, sleeps in Walmart parking lots. And, you know, <laughs> he doesn't have a very glamorous lifestyle to begin in the series. <laughs> it's, it almost seems like, given the my exposure to zombies, which isn't great, but it almost seems like there's a subset that RV is, is sort of part of. Like The Walking Dead had the RV for a while, for instance. Right. And, and I've seen it in other ones where they, you know, like, I guess it makes sense if you've got to be mobile, a mobile home that you can drive makes yeah. sense. But do you think it occurs often enough that you could consider it a, a zombie trope? Yeah. I mean, I suppose you could. Um, it It's funny. It's a, in a way, it, it's kind of a, it's kind of a, an obstacle in terms of writing. Because um, it's like, okay, you know, he's in this RV. How's he going to go to this haunted house in the woods? Well, he's not. You got to figure out something else. So, you know, fairly soon on, you know, I'm like, okay, he he's got to. He can't just. You know, this is going to be more like a a base camp. You know, he's got a dirt bike that he that he, that he uh, deploys. You know, that he rides everywhere. Um, yeah, then you just go from there. It's it's not as bad as like you know. I've tried to write characters that have like had dogs before and that's just exhausting. I don't know. <laughs> uh, just cause it's like, okay, you can't forget what the dog's doing. What's the dog doing now? What's, you know, it's just, yeah. So it's kind of like, Oh, where's the RV? Uh, is anybody bothering the RV? You know, is ours things okay in the RV? So. That is fair. So um, what is the 32nd elevator pitch though for this book? Cause you yeah. said the RV plays a part in it. Right. Uh, so my, my pitch when I first started writing it, uh, was burn notice meets evil dead. Um, so basically Paxton has a, um, at the, in the beginning of the first book, he has a, um, Craigslist ad and basically saying, Hey, you got, you got weird problems that nobody else believes I can help you, you know? So he's, uh, going around and helping people. Um, what he does try to do though, cause he, he, has a pretty overdeveloped sense of guilt. Um, obviously, if you're going to market yourself like that, you're going to get your share of crazies. So what he does is, if it's somebody that has a genuine problem, he does he gives them freebies. But then, you know, if he, he calls somebody that, you know, is, has a couple screws loose, he actually charges them. <laughs> so, so that's kind of his way of uh, justifying, you know, what he's doing, you know, charging money for uh, helping people out, you know, keep himself in uh, pizza and Pop-Tarts, you know, kind of thing. So. Makes sense. Yeah. Pizza and Pop-Tarts so, are important. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Sure. I was never really a big Pop-Tart pop -tart person, so I'll go with it. Um, But what is it that makes this series special and unique? Because, I mean, there's a lot of zombie books. Mm -hmm. This is uh, this is more urban fantasy. Um, the I think what I tried to do was the shows. I, I love the I love the show Supernatural. Um, so the, and there's definitely some inspirations there. Um, I really liked uh, the I yeah. The, he has a lot more cargo space than the Winchesters. Yeah, yeah. Not as cool, but yeah, it, it definitely has more cargo room. Um, but I think the thing about you know what's cool having enough ammo. 
That's true. Yeah, yeah. But he's a terrible shot, or at least he starts out a terrible shot. So that's why he likes shotguns because you don't have to be quite as accurate. <laughs> so, um, I think I think the thing about uh, that I wanted to kind of spin off, you know, and not be you know just another supernatural clone was I wanted to have a world where the I mean, if there were you know if there were Sasquatches roaming the national parks to you know, circle back to where we were a little bit, or a little bit ago, you know, the government's going to do something about that. Then now the question is, is are they going to do that competently or correctly? That may be up in the air, but they're not just going to let, you know, Sasquatch eat campers. They're going to, you know, there's going to be a response somewhere. So one of the underlying themes is, is that at first Paxson doesn't realize that there is an entire branch of the government that is basically the you know fbi that is in charge of looking after cryptids and and ghosts and witches and you know that sort of thing so <clears throat> he kind of runs afoul of them and then eventually ends up working with them you know once you know they realize that he's not you know as bad as they thought he was initially that sort of thing so um so i kind of want i just i kind of wanted to make i think that makes it feel more real um there was always like a sense of you know, disbelief that like, you know, oh, they go to all these little bitty towns in the Midwest and, you know, this, there's never any, you know, you know, blog or anything saying, oh, it's these guys, it's these guys again, you know, we've seen these guys before, you know, I mean, they kind of had that element a little bit in um, like the bank, I, there's one season where there was a, they were in a bank robbery with a shapeshifter and I think the FBI got involved, but I, I felt like they kind of abandoned that and I just kind of wanted to you know uh have something where you know it, it seemed like it was a bigger world and not just uh focused on you know a couple people so okay so which tropes do you feel like uh and then we mentioned some of them earlier but which tropes do you think fade which is the, obviously the first book and the paxton lock series i like the name paxton by the way um it, it's a very uh dignified name paxton lock but what what tropes do you feel like fade hits best um so Pax, paxton's pretty much just uh he's kind of the everyman so in a way he's in that way he's sort of the uh audience analog you know it's like he does have you know powers but uh he's kind of a screw up um you know he gets beat up a lot um by the by the monsters and the bad guys but he kind of you know forces his way to you know through it just because of you know the sheer determination um he had kind of a raw deal in life and he's just trying to, he's trying to make something of himself. And, uh, yeah, I think that's, uh, what we all should strive for, I guess. So. <laughs> I accidentally muted myself. I'm going to blame doc. I don't know why, but it's her fault. So, uh, what subgenres or genres besides just obvious the zombies, do you feel like, um, fade fits into? I uh, still the urban fantasy, uh, horror, um, there's a bit of, um, I guess there's a bit of uh, espionage thriller type stuff in there, um, uh, you know, because when you uh, eventually, you know, later on, you know, when Paxton's working with the U.S. government, um, there's some times where they have to work with other, uh, uh, other basically entities that uh, defend other countries. Uh, uh, the British and the American uh, anti-magic uh, agencies don't necessarily get along, and 
nobody likes the Russian guys, you know, they're literally called the Death Knights. And, uh, you know, so that's been fun, uh, kind of doing a little bit of uh, not just sticking to the United States and you know, moving around a little bit. So Doc always, when she makes fun of me, says she's going to mail me a pineapple pizza. So, and you mentioned Pop-Tarts and pizza earlier. So I have two questions yeah. for you all. What is your personal feeling about pineapples and pizza? Uh, my mother-in-law loves Hawaiian and it's like, I mean, I'll eat it if, it's, if that's all there is, but it's not my number one choice. <laughs> I'm, yeah, definitely, yeah. I'm definitely a uh, more meat the better kind of guy and you know, fruit doesn't belong on pizza. I, I could dig it. So the next question, which is more important for this interview, Paxton Locke, since he eats pizza, how would he take his pizza? Oh, he's, he's a pepperoni guy all the way. Yeah. And, uh, Pop tarts. He's the brown. He's a brown sugar cinnamon guy. I've I've had that you know a couple times. Uh, <laughs> Excellent, excellent yeah, taste. Yeah. yeah. Well, so it kind of it's 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 plot related because you know you don't want to have a character that's too overpowered. So the way the magic works in the Paxton universe is is that he's basically drawing on his own energy. So you know he. He casts too powerful a spell. I mean, he, you know, he's tired, he's hungry, you know. So pop tarts, man. He's, he's he got to recharge. So and then, whereas you know the bad guys, you know, they have other sources of uh, of power, so they can be a little bit more ostentatious. Paxton has to be a little bit more, uh, a little bit more careful about how he uses magic and uh, try and be uh, sneaky with it uh, versus uh, throwing balls of fire at people. So okay, so. In this world, you mentioned you have magic. Is it out in like everyone knows magic is real, or is it hidden? Um, it's definitely yeah, it's definitely hidden. Like literally, there is a division of the government uh, called Division M, uh, and basically they, their job is to make sure that you know it doesn't get out. So <clears throat> you know they go around and you know um, arrest you know covens of sorority girls that are trying to you know cast curses on their friends and you know basically all sorts of different things like that. So yeah, yeah, the, uh, the, the antagonists in fate are actually, uh, are, uh, are some sorority girls that have got, got hold of a, a spell book. So it's basically uh, mean girls with magic. <laughs> so, okay. so, you, so you told us a little bit about Paxton already. Was there anything else that you would, that makes him unique in the crowded world of uh, urban fantasies? Um, um, I mean, he's uh, like I said. I, I, I try to. I try not. I try to balance um, his power levels. Um, you know, you, you talk about like uh, well, you know, going back to the Wheel of Time. I mean, even by halfway through the series, I mean, Rand was basically you know super science. Um, I try to keep it. You know, he may learn one spell, a new spell, a book. Um, you know, and he, he's not throwing fireballs around. You know, he he does get hurt. He ha, you know, he's not uh, he's not invincible. Um, and I think that's what uh, I think what, what makes him most appealing as a character is that uh, he's real. He's literally uh, throwing himself into the fight. Um, he's not like your stereotypical you know magic user that's kind of hiding back and you know not not getting involved. He's uh, um, getting up and close and personal and you know. Okay, that's a solid okay. answer. All right, Doc. How about the main characters? I mean, is the RV a character in the book? 
no, it's more of a setting, I guess. Uh, so, so I don't have a sentient. That, that's a good idea, though. I uh, yeah, kind of like Bob the Skull. You know, you have the have have Tom the RV or something. No. No. Yeah, he uh, he go, he's gone through a couple RVs at this point. Uh, you know, you get, the first one gets torched, and then he buys a new one, and somebody throws a you know a, a familiar through the other one, and yeah, he's he's not had very good luck with them. <laughs> and he's got to be having a lot of money because those things aren't cheap. I've priced them. <laughs> well, yeah, you know, hey, usually and thankfully, you know, it's you know, it's he uh, he gets the rich people that uh, you know are crazy and think they need their uh, house cleansed, so he can charge them pretty well. <laughs> So. Doc, we went into the wrong business. Apparently, we need to start our own exorcism company. Yes. Yeah. Hey, you know. So. They are. But, that's uh, what happens when you clean. Yeah. So, and it's funny, the actual <laughs> formation of Paxton as a character, um, I had this, the hook for me in my head was, you know, a guy goes to exercise some spirits and when he gets into the guy's house, he realizes a, it really is haunted, and b, the reason why it's haunted is because the guy's a serial killer. So that was kind of where Paxton uh, started out uh, as a character on his thing and getting um, make some references to that in Fade. But there's an actual short story uh, we put out in an anthology called uh, "Shoot the Devil," and uh, that's the story of uh, Paxton's basically his, his start. Uh, where he meets a meets a serial killer and and uh, all the ghosts that live in the guy's house. <laughs> wow! So, does he have an entirely new cast of characters every novel? Like, do you? Uh... Um, no, I mean, there's the cast is kind of slowly growing with each book. Um, by the end of the first book, you know, he's got a partner that he's working with that turns into a girlfriend. Um, eventually when he joins the uh, government, uh, he's on a team. Uh, so there's some characters there that, uh, he's with, um, so yeah. And then as he's, um, traveling around, you know, he meets other people and, uh, you know, expands his, so uh, is there a big, one big bad for the series or is it just like a different one in each book? It's, it's more of an arc. Uh, the first three books the primary antagonist is Paxton's mom um she was a uh college professor that uh, got hold of some magical artifacts and uh tried to use them for uh bad things and uh, bad things happened and Pax is the uh, one that has to stop her um and then uh the next uh, arc is a uh, is a British wizard that he has to fight uh, named Alistair Knight um there's kind of a ongoing um opponent that uh is kind of building up to basically be the third major antagonist i kind of so the the structure is is there's usually there's the overarching opponent and then you know there's a uh, <clears throat> there's usually a separate one so like in fade you know you've got the sorority girls but then his mom also is in it and then you know his mom carries on to the second book, but then they're working against a uh, you know a, sh a, a monster in Phoenix, and then you know kind of goes from there. So, so it, it kind of does have a monster of the week feel, but there's also usually you know some higher, a bigger bad that's either behind. There's it some or consistency, overarching consistency. Sure. Yeah. Yeah, and I I, I kind of like that because 
it feels the you know the victory feels more earned you know he, he finally beats his mom in the third book you know and and it feels more you know it's not it's not like he just did it you know he had, he had to fight for it so so given all of this if your character knew who you were and met you in a dark alley how do you think you'd fare oh he'd be fine yeah he just hey how's it going not him <laughs> you oh me oh uh I'm sorry, I misunderstood. Uh, he's pretty. He's pretty nondescript. Um, I mean, he literally, you know, it says in the book that he's just an average-looking guy. Um, he's got white hair uh, that kind of came about, you know, because his, uh, something that happened to him. Basically, his hair turned white out of out of fear. Um, you know, I, I've I've avoided making any jokes about The Witcher, but you know, he he, he keeps it cut short and he does try to dye it because. Uh, Obviously, when he's on the run, that's kind of a obvious uh, characteristic. But yeah, he's just uh, you wouldn't. I mean, unless he's actually in the middle of uh, uh, fighting something, you wouldn't think much of him. He's, and I think that's what what's appealing about him is uh, just a guy. So that's a, a very appealing thing for people. Um, so when you write these characters. Do you have a favorite character archetype that you use, or do you just sort of let the plot requirement dictate? Um, to some extent, I mean, I, I Paxton's more of a uh, optimistic person, and then one of his guys that he works with is, uh, you know, more of a um, Malcolm Reynolds type, where he's going to do what he what needs what he thinks needs to be done, and he doesn't care who you know, what government or person tells them, you know, to do different. Um, so I, I don't know, I try to, one thing I try to do is, is I like, I like characters that have well-identified motivations, uh, even, and I want even the bad guys, I, I don't want anyone to be twirling their mustache. I want you to look at this character and say, okay, they want this and I want it to be something that you can understand. Um, you know, uh, Paxton's mom, kind of, if you really, you know, sit and think about what she's trying to do when she actually explains it, crappy way of going about it, but there's maybe some good ideas there. She did, you know, the impl implementation was awful <laughs> and she's a terrible person, but, you know, uh, you could see where somebody would, would come, come to that, you know, um, the Alistair Knight in the uh, the next arc, um, he's really old. He doesn't want to die, and I think you know that's understandable. I mean, he does. Okay, I'm going to cut you off because we don't want you to just oh, no yeah. spoilers. No spoilers. Yeah, yeah. So, all right. So, so we can avoid spoilers because it's easy for authors to get caught up in the discussions because I do it too. Right? Doc has to shut us up all the time. You're not the first, and you won't be the last. But Give us a sneak peek at how the sausage was made. So were there any cool scenes in book one that you had to cut that maybe you were able to use in other places? <sighs> book one, not so much. Um, definitely as the story expanded further on, there were um, there were big, uh, you know, climactic moments. And, you know, in, in my head, I'm thinking, oh, you know, it, this is, if they do this, you know, and have these people with them, that would be really cool. But then, you know, looking at it, it's like, well, 
you know, do I really want to have this massive battle scene with, you know, all these people when I've already said that this person, you know, had couldn't couldn't be stopped? Is it doesn't it make more sense to have it be a lot more personal, you know? Um, so instead of having like, you know, some giant, you know, Avengers Age Ultron fight, it's just you know one or two guys, you know, it makes it uh, it's more intimate. Um, so yeah, I think I mean, avoid you know. With the spoiler warning, yeah, it's kind of hard to you know go into more detail with that. But uh, you know, I had this big, you know, outlandish, <clears throat> excuse me, production in mind, and and I just you know looking at it, I'm like, man, you know, yeah, it's cool, but it doesn't really, it doesn't really speak to the conflict. You know, why is Paxton? You know, why does he feel he has to stop this guy? You know, because it's not just because he's a bad guy. There's there's definitely a reason. And it's, you know, consumed him literally across, you know, uh, more than one book. So I think the payoff is more, more fulfilling um, if it's more, if it's more, if it's more face to face. So I think, you know, and I, and it's hard because, you know, as a writer, you know, you love, I wouldn't say you love every scene you write, but, you know, you have your favorites and. You know, there's times you, you come up with a concept or uh, a scene, and it's like, oh, that's awesome. You know, I want I want to see that, you know, on a movie, you know, or I want to see that in my head, you know. And, and then you're like, yeah, it doesn't work in the story. And you got to, you know, I, you, know I, you don't want, the last thing you want to do, you know, is you don't want to throw somebody out of the story. And you got to, and that's, that's, that's a hard thing is being honest with yourself and saying, okay, it's cool, but it doesn't work, you know. <laughs> Okay, so we know that this is part of a series because you mentioned it. It's the Paxton yep. Lock series. Uh, this is book one of what Amazon says are six. But uh, where is the series going? Do you think? Where do you uh, see it? Ending? I I have no endpoint in mind. Uh, I've currently got up to book nine sketched out, so I I have a definite plan as to where things are going, um, and we'll just have to see from there. Um, I think um, I don't know. There's it. I, I, I you want you want there to be an end, but then you want you want it to feel you know organic with the story, and you know I don't necessarily want to just end it, but uh, I don't know. Up, up right now, I'm at nine, and we'll see what happens after that. So you mentioned some of the magic, but could you elaborate what kind of magic um, we can expect from this book? Yeah, so basically the magical system is, uh, I guess you could call it magical thermodynamics. Um, <laughs> okay. You know, Paxton, uh, there's a scene in Fade where he really, really overdoes his powers and he actually, uh, you know, emaciates himself. He loses like 20 pounds because he's, you know, basically burned all that into calories. Uh, and uh, so that's kind of a handicap for the good guys because the bad guys are able to do something that's called tapping. And basically they're going and pulling out uh, evil from the you know universe and using that to fuel their spells. So I think that kind of is a check on, you know, the, the tendency to make your character, you know, unstoppable. But it also, in a way for writing it, it's been fun because you, you think you try, it makes you have to think of ways that he can use his spells to, um, you know, in more creative ways that are less energy intensive. Um, you know, so he doesn't throw fireballs, but 
um, he learns how to make ice. And the way he makes ice is he draws heat energy from the air around him. So he realizes uh, over the course of the books that, well, hey, I'm stuck in the desert. That's no big deal. I can just draw on this heat around me and I can cool myself off. I can make ice, you know, have to have a cool drink. Um, you know, uh, his, uh, one, one his, he, first, one of his first spells he learns is uh, telekinesis. And, um, I tried and basically with the physics of that, you know, the further away he is, the less weight he can move. So basically it's, it's pretty much a worthless spell. I mean, he can, uh, he can grab a can of pop out of a, out of a fridge that's five, 10 feet away or something like that. But he realizes that he can make uh, knives uh, out of out of uh, a, a field, and all has to, and a knife doesn't use any energy to, to cut. It's just you know however many molecules the actual blade of force is. And so he basically so he has magic swords that way, sort of thing. You know, so coming up with little twists on the magic is uh, is the uh, he has to be a little more creative and uh, and, and uh, work with things. He's not just uh, you know, calling down lightning bolts and fireballs and stuff like that, like you'd see in Dungeons and Dragons or something like that. Okay. So you've mentioned already that you have some sort of fantastical creatures in it that he's he's engaging in combat with. Sure. So how do you go about how do you go about creating these? Do you let your nightmares inspire you? Do you pull from myth and lore, uh, legends? Like, do you make it up completely out of whole cloth in your imagination? How do you create the beings that he's engaging with? I try to find stuff in folklore. Um, that is actually real, uh, but I try to find stuff also that maybe it hasn't haven't seen. Um, so I don't have vampires and I don't have werewolves. Um, you know, uh, one of the uh, one of the uh, monsters he runs into is a um, oh gosh, I forget what it's called. Uh, is a uh, urban legend called the Kentucky Howler. <clears throat> and basically, it's like a. Um, in the book, I describe him as like, um, like a cross between a. Uh, a tiger and a bear. So it's like a bear tiger with a, with horns and it like teleports and, you know, pops out of, uh, uh, pops out of the ground and stuff like that. So, um, yeah, just trying to find you know unique, you know things. You know, so I'll I'll sit on my sit on Wikipedia or just Google, you know, urban legends and look for things that, uh, you know, it looks kind of cool, you know, or, yeah, so. Okay. That's a, that's a good way to do it. So uh, clearly this interview is winding down, but before we let you go, was there anything about Fade, which is the first book in the Paxton Locke series that we didn't ask that you wanted to tell us before we uh, wrap it up? Uh, no, not really. I think we covered it pretty well. So. All right. Well, it's that time of the evening. Well, I guess we don't know if it's evening when they're listening, but it's that time of the show, dear listener, dear viewer, where we remind you to please be kind and speak your mind on the reviewing platforms. Your reviews help the right readers find the right books. So do your part. And um, maybe, just maybe, if you give him his 100th review, uh, Paxton will finally get to upgrade his RV to the king-sized RV, and he could actually have like a full fridge or something. I, I don't know RV terms. I've got to work on that for the next. Maybe the yeah, next. Maybe a chauffeur or something. You know, so again, uh, yeah, there you go. <laughs> um, but yeah, so so do your part, people. It really does make a difference. And um, on that note, Daniel Humphreys, which is where you can find um, look him up as. But Daniel, can you tell us how they can find you on the Wild Wild Interwebs? 
Yeah, um, so I, you can find me uh, on my blog, uh, danielhumphreys.com. Uh, That'll uh, redirect you to the right spot. Uh, there should be links to all my stuff. Um, Fade is, and the entire Packs and Lock series is uh, paperback, hardback, uh, Kindle, um, and uh, books one through four are also available in audio. Uh, five and six should be coming out in audio, hopefully uh, by the summertime. Just kind of uh, waiting on the narrator there. Um, same goes for uh, the Z Day books. Those are uh, all available. Uh, Paperback only in uh, Kindle, and the uh, first three books of that are in audio as well. So. All right. Well, you can find all of that will be in the show notes. As usual, dear listener, you know the spell. Scroll down on the uh, wherever you're viewing or listening, and you can get all of the links. You can find us on the Twitters at twitter.com backslash SF underscore fantasy underscore show. Sierra Foxtrot underscore fantasy underscore show. You can email us at blasters and blaze podcast at gmail.com. Again, blasters and blaze podcast at gmail.com. We have a Facebook group where all the shenanigans happen at facebook.com backslash groups backslash blasters and blaze podcast. Again, backslash groups backslash blasters and blaze podcast. We do have a Facebook page. We do not have enough followers yet to have a dedicated url so help us fix that people but in the meantime if you look up blasters and blades podcast you will find us as our page as well we try to list a bunch of book reviews and all of our episodes um so it's, it's worth following we have a website over at anchor.fm backslash blasters tag and tag blades again anchor.fm backslash blasters dash and dash blades where you can support the show for as little as 99 cents a month you can help keep the lights on see this show isn't free and uh our host providers kind of like to get paid too um you can also support us more directly over at buymeacoffee.com backslash author jr hanley again buymeacoffee.com backslash author jr hanley be sure to put in the comment section that is for the podcast and i will keep the sleepy doc saska uh duly caffeinated her and nick will drink the coffee until their liver surrenders never surrender you ain't no quitter right your mama didn't raise a quitter i know i know all right doc bring us home Okay, thank you for spending some of your precious time with us. For the absentee Nick Garter, the addle brain JR, and the very sleepy me, this has been the Blasters and Blaze podcast. Go find a new book. Tell us what you think of Fade when you read it. We would love to know. Um, we'll be back next time, same place, same time, doing who knows what. That predictability would be boring. Bye. Yeah, pretty, pretty boring. All right. You guys have a nice evening. Thank you for coming and visiting us, Daniel. Okay, you bet. Thank you.